We live in a world that often tells us that it's foolish to be a Christian, which begs the question, can a smart person believe in God? Well, my friend, Dr. Michael Gillian, who was ABC's science correspondent for many years, is a great example of how a scientifically minded person, someone who thinks critically about the world around him, not only believes in God, but loves Jesus with his whole heart. Welcome to another episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. And today I'm looking back at an interview that I did with Michael Gian on how he came to believe in God, not in spite of science, but in harmony with what he's learned about the physical world. I met up with Michael at his home in Southern California after taking an Amtrak train with my team from the Haven office. It's a fond memory for me and I hope it will become a powerful conversation for you to hear in a time when the intelligence of Christians is often up for debate. So here it is, my conversation with Dr. Michael Gian. This is Haven Today. Welcome. And um, I want to welcome back to the program Michael Gillen. He's not only the author of Can a Smart Person Believe in God?, but he's the former science correspondent for ABC. He's uh, been on the History Channel, and now he's a movie producer, and maybe we'll get him to talk about that. Michael, welcome back. It's been too many years since we last had you on the program. Oh, uh, Charles, thank you so much for having me back. You know, we were thinking about how many years ago it was. Time maybe, flies, maybe huh? Maybe eight years since we but last you know had what? you on the program. But you know what? You look younger. I certainly <laughs> do, don't I? Right. I've lost a little more hair, and I didn't have much to start with when I saw you the last time. Oh, it's just wonderful to sit down with you. I should tell our listeners, you used to be a professor at Harvard. ABC found you. You were their science editor for a number of years. The last time we were together, it was only two years hmm. since you had come back to faith. A remarkable story in the world of science. Yeah. God broke through to your life again, didn't he? He, he really did, uh, Charles. And, 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 you know, you kind of arrested me there for a moment when you said I'd only been really surrendered to the Lord two years the last time we spoke, and I just did a quick calculation, and you're right. That would have uh, been in the early 2000s. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Uh, I had left ABC to pursue, you know, my own thing, as they say. Right, right. <laughs> uh, start my own production company. You know, after 14 years at ABC, and they were really wonderful years. I got to travel the world and broadcast and on Good Morning Night. coming along, oh, an invention oh. or whatever, you were there. <clears throat> and, I was their go-to you guy. were able to cover it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I succeeded Jules Bergman, who was a legendary a science famous. editor. And yes. when Jules died uh, young, uh, really relatively young of a brain tumor, I became the new science editor. So it was... It was quite an honor, and and uh, I, I think back to those 14 years at ABC, at Good Morning America, Nightline, 2020, all those programs that I did, World News, with Peter Jennings, uh, Jennings, may he rest in peace. Yes. Really traveled all over the world, more than 50 countries have been to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, seen the Titanic as close as I am to you right now, and mm. prayed over the victims down there of that terrible disaster, and uh, been to the North Pole, the South Pole, and but here I am. And I look back on that life, and, and in particular that surrendered life, uh, the, the, the year I surrendered to the Lord, it was a time in my life, Charles, uh, it was difficult because my wife and I could not have children. There was nothing wrong with us. They checked us out. We went to the best doctors in Boston, and um, they said, listen, you, you fall into this category of unexplained infertility. There's nothing physically wrong with you that we can tell, but you just can't have children. 
And so we had just adopted our son, and mm-hmm. that's when we came on, I came on your radio program. Sure. It was shortly after that adoption, and it was shortly after I had left ABC, and we, it was at a time when I was filming my History Channel series, Where Did It Come From? And yes, you're right. I had just newly surrendered to the Lord, and the occasion of the surrender was that uh, not being able to have children was for me and my wife a devastating blow. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. uh, I'm Hispanic. Uh, well, I've got Austrian and Irish in me too, but I'm Cuban, <laughs> Spanish, and Mexican. I'm a real little you're mongrel. An, you're an American. <laughs> I'm an American, <laughs> true and true. I really am. But you know, in the Hispanic tradition and also in the Irish tradition, I mean, families are very important. That's and right. I always imagined that I would have a large family. I just took it for granted that that would be the case, that I got married, I would have children. And now you couldn't have children. <laughs> and I couldn't. Let me just mention to our listeners, we, we, we've got you on with us this week. I felt like we needed to have you back on because there is this great divide between science and religion. Yes. And it's gotten worse yes. since the eight years you and I were last together. Yes. But uh, you were starting to tell your story. And you were not always uh, Dr. Michael Gillen, no. professor at Harvard University. No. So just go ahead and tell no, us your uh, story. Well, I want to finish the story because okay. it, it, it does tie all the loose ends together in the most improbable way. And that's, that's the thing about life with the Lord. It, it doesn't follow the norms of logic. But here, here I am with my wife trying to have children and trying everything scientifically feasible. Not everything, because there were limits to the things we were willing to do. We did in vitro fertilization, but that was, we didn't want to go beyond that. But mm-hmm. we, we, we really, like any well-educated, you know, young couple, we turned to science for help to mm-hmm. try to help us to have children. And nothing worked. Couldn't help you. Even Even we went to the doctor at one point who had successfully made Celine Dion pregnant. You know, Celine Dion had had Mm -hmm. a terrible time having children as well, and she went to this very famous doctor, Zev Rosenwax, over at Cornell Weill Medical Center in New York City, and I'd known Zev. I had put him on TV. I'd interviewed him on some stories that I had done, and he he knew of our problems, and he said, look, you know, there's a big waiting list, but uh, call my office. I'll put Mm -hmm. you right at the top. He Mm -hmm. says, I'll get you a laurel in there. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, this is it. I've hit pay dirt. This is the scientific genius of of fertility. We're going to make this We're going to do it. We're, and, and, and it all happened around Thanksgiving. So there was a, a mood, a, there was an aura about it that I thought, wow, this is going to work for us. You know, we went down to New York City for Thanksgiving and we had the procedure. My sperm was placed into Laurel. Laurel's eggs were fertilized uh, with my sperm and uh, placed into her womb. We prayed over it, I even mm. remember. Mm. But nothing happened. Mm. And and it never dawned on us to really turn to the Lord. I mean, when I say we prayed over it, it was just mm-hmm. a kind of a pro forma prayer, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. so many people today do. You the, know, the, we pray over do. a meal or pray over pray of uh, victims of a, of a disaster of some form or another. And uh, but what's behind the prayer? Hmm. And for me, at that point in my life, I was just very scientific. You know, I'm a mm-hmm. theoretical physicist, for mm-hmm. goodness sakes. Of course mm-hmm. science can solve problems. Science put us on the moon. It can help, help Laurel and me have a child. It it's, mm. should be child's play. But it didn't work. And I remember that time after uh, Zev tried to help us, how devastating when Laurel took a little pregnancy test, those little strip things, yes, you know, yes, and I waited outside. I, we bought it at the pharmacy, brought it home. I waited outside the bathroom door while she... Uh, tested herself, and I was just so expectant. I was so certain it was going to work. And when she came out, and I looked at her face, and uh, mm. oh Lord, you knew it, uh, it was uh, devastating. Mm. Mm. 
So there we were, and uh, facing a life without children. And then I remember it was the beginning of my conversion, and it was uh, Sunday. The Lord spoke to Laurel and me simultaneously, very interesting. And I don't say that glibly, but he, um, he spoke to our hearts, and he convicted us to adopt just instantaneously it was instantaneous communication and simultaneous so uh we ended up adopting this wonderful boy who you got to meet radio. when i and and that's when i sure. came on your radio broadcast that's right. but it was when we were convicted to adopt it was a very scary thing for us because we had never contemplated adoption mm -hmm. and uh, we're not we were not familiar with the process but I remember one evening, I was so tired and I was so discouraged. It was all during that time when we were trying to have children. I just remember flopping into bed fully clothed. It must have been about six or between six and seven o'clock. I literally, Charles, flopped into bed fully clothed, exhausted, physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. And I felt the presence of something that I didn't fully understand but that came across to me in whatever way it communicated itself to me as a loving presence. Mm. And I look back on it now, and I, and I do believe it was the Lord Jesus. Mm. And this presence gave me the impression of folding me in his arms. Mm. That night I slept for the first time soundly, uh, for the first time in months. Mm. And when I awoke, nothing really had changed. It was the same guy with the same problems, the same right. challenges, and yet everything had changed. Nothing had changed, and everything had changed. And I couldn't, as a scientist, I struggle to be precise with my descriptions. I'm trying to be as precise with you as I can be. I'm trying to mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. put my hat on as a reporter, as a science mm -hmm. reporter. I'm just trying to report to you what happened without embellishment, without spinning, without anything. I can only say to you, it was that morning when I woke up from that experience really it was a moment of surrender i see that now i felt as if the weight of the world had been lifted from my shoulders hmm. and that even though nothing had changed in my life i had a sense that everything was going to be okay hmm. and it was shortly after that that uh, we adopted our son that wow. he came into our life we went on your radio show i wrote this book it all happened boom 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 just like that and so here was the scientist surrendering to uh, a presence that I didn't fully understand, and yet it made all the difference in the world to my life. Hmm. Now, of course, I have had, what, seven, eight years since yes, I've been on your show? that's right, yes. I've had that time to study the Word, to reflect on that experience, to ask myself, what is it that happened that day? What is it that happened that night? And the more I understand, and of course we will never fully understand until that mm -hmm. fateful day mm -hmm. when this, this life is done with and the next life begins, that we will fully understand. But to the degree that I have reflected on that experience and studied the Word and spoken to the Lord through prayer and meditation, I realize now and I recognize with both eyes open that it was a moment of surrender. It was, it was my moment in life when I said, in effect, I've done everything my scientific brain can think of. <laughs> mm -hmm. And 
I, I'm spent. Hmm. I'm spent. I'm at the end of the road. And the end of that road was the beginning of the, my life as a Christian. And here I am mm. speaking to you now as a scientist who's on this Christian journey. And it is the wow. most exciting time of it, my it life, is. brother. It is, isn't it? Oh, my yes. gosh. Do you, how many hours do we have, Charles? How many hours? <laughs> we, may, I, we may have time to pray oh before the program. So let me just mention, if somebody just joined us, yep. this is Dr. Michael Gillen. He's the former science correspondent, editor for ABC. He's had a series on the History Channel. He's a movie producer now. It was time for us to return and talk to him about this theme that uh, the Lord laid in his heart. Can a smart person believe in God? I'm going to have you back on the program tomorrow, and we'll talk more about your upbringing and then how that led to your faith journey of meeting the Lord. What do you see happening today? I mentioned this when we started, this great gulf between science and religion, faith. We hear from people who are in the science community. Sometimes they'll, they'll write in and they'll say, thank you for tackling a topic like this. You can be a scientist and be a Christian, can't you? Yes, of course, Charles. You know, it breaks my heart every time I hear this notion that there's a gulf between science and the Bible, science and, the, and faith. What word do I want to use to describe it? Is it a fraud? Mm. Is it a scam? I think the best way I can describe this so-called gulf is that it's just, it is a divide of enormous misunderstanding between the communities of faith and reason. Mm. There is a mutual ignorance. There is a mutual distrust. There is a, a mutual, yeah, just a mutual lack of understanding. I have been so blessed, Charles, because the first part of my life, adult life, was spent training as a scientist. And we'll talk about that tomorrow, you mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. Fine. Before that, growing up, it was a, a life of intense faith. And so, as I got older, I had to reconcile these two worlds, or I had to abandon one world or the other. Mm. I had to give myself fully to the world of faith or to the world of reason, or reconcile them somehow. Or Yes, you, you right? had to have some kind of breakthrough, well, which, some kind which, of breakthrough, which God did give you then. That night of surrender was just the beginning. And when I look back... You know when there is an earthquake, there is a main mm -hmm. shock, mm -hmm. and then there are foreshocks and aftershocks. Mm. And that night of surrender that I just described to you, that moment when I just said, I, I, I've done everything that I can, right, was the main quake. But there were foreshocks now that I perceive that I didn't notice before, mm. and there were aftershocks. We can talk about the foreshocks tomorrow. Okay. But look, this gulf between science and religion has become actually like a small industry. <laughs> I, no, really, and you have people on both sides mining it. You yes. know, you have the you know the Richard Dawkinses of the world and the Sam Harrises of the world. Sure. They, they they've made like a little career out of, you know, defending science. They would have you believe they're not defending science; they're just defending their own opinions, wow. which they couch as being scientific, but they aren't scientific really. Mm. And then you have uh, people on the other side too. Uh, who have uh, reciprocal misunderstanding of science. You know, if the Dawkins and the Harrises of the world have a misunderstanding of the world of faith, then there are people on the other side who are also mm -hmm. making a career out of kind of defending the faith. 
Well, the fact is that, you know what, um, anyone out there listening to me right now, if they just bothered to spend some time looking into it for themselves, would discover that that gulf would disappear like a morning fog in the sun. Mm. The fact is that too many people, and I, and I, don't, I say this all love in my heart, but most people are either too busy or too lazy. And so all they do is they listen to people on the extremes. Mm, mm. And, they, and they try to interpolate their opinions between the extremes instead of just looking into it for themselves. Stop listening to the debates. Really, that's my advice mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. Stop listening to the debates. You know, when I was at ABC News, whenever we wanted, uh, you know, big ratings and we were dealing with a controversial subject, we would always be careful to invite on the program the people who are at the most extreme on both of sides. Of course, of Same, course. That's right? what journalism does. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, I remember doing one nightline on the environment. So we had uh, Al Gore on the one side and Rush Limbaugh on the other. <laughs> I mean, you know, those are the extremes. <laughs> sure. And we, we were not interested in putting on people who were in the, in the in vast between. middle. Yes. Who would really talk sense, who would talk reason, who would give you a closer approximation to the truth. No, no, no. That doesn't mm. get ratings. Mm. We need the extremes, the people mm. who are mining the margins of, of, a, very, um, of a very important subject. In this case, mm. science and, and faith, science and religion. There is no gulf, Charles. There is no gulf. We're going to bridge that with you again tomorrow. So, Dr. Michael Gillen, thanks for joining me again here on Haven today. Thank you, Charles. This is Haven today, and welcome again. Uh, We're joined by the former ABC News science correspondent, and he, I had forgotten, is a theoretical physicist. So, Dr. Michael Gillen, welcome back to the program today. Oh, it's so good to be here again, Charles. Really enjoyed yesterday. Looking forward to today. Well, uh, I promised yesterday, and we really didn't have time, that we would talk about your upbringing. Uh, You weren't always a Harvard professor. You weren't always working on a PhD at Cornell. Uh, Just tell us a little bit about your background, which was not in science. Boy, uh, (laughs) it was anything but science. I I was born in East Los Angeles. I mean, you know, there's that Cheech and Chong song, Born in East L.A.? I think it's something like that. Yes, yes. Uh, Well, I really was born in East L.A., and... um, uh, my father and my two grandfathers were Pen- Spanish-speaking Pentecostal ministers. And, and you're, uh, you're Hispanic, yes. yes. I'm Spanish, right. Cuban, Mexican, uh, Austrian, and Irish, just to make it a little interesting. That's right. And uh, so uh, naturally people, you know, uh, expected that I would become a minister. You know, the Bible speaks about um, a blessing extending to four generations. So right. if you count my grandfather's the first generation, he was the first generation minister. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his father was like an outlaw. In Texas, somewhere, <laughs> there's a real colorful well, history. Some, there. We, we, we all have some horse thieves <laughs> yeah, somewhere yeah. in our background. Well, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I think I only have to go back three generations. Uh, but anyway, uh, right. I don't want to blaspheme my family, but I think that's what it's been explained to me. But my so my grandfather uh, uh, on both sides, uh, my maternal and paternal grandfathers were both first generation ministers. Okay. Uh, I can tell you, just a quick digression, that my maternal grandfather, Guadalupe Armandadas, he was born in uh, Guadalajara, Mexico. Mm. He was a shoemaker and wanted nothing to do with God, nothing to do with religion. In fact, Mm. uh, he was actually very, he had a lot of animus, hostility Mm. towards God. Mm. But my grandmother, his wife, uh, found the Lord 
And um, their son, Carlos, their, which was the second child out of eight children they eventually had, uh, had polio. Mm -hmm. And so my grandmother um, wanted to invite some ministers from a local church to come to, and pray. To pray. You know, sure. well, my grandfather was just stupid. I mean, just that's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I don't want any a bunch of these holy rollers coming into my house and praying over this child. Don't, don't you know? He just was. I mean, he, he used language probably stronger than that. Okay, right. right. Um, but she was a strong lady, and she arranged for these ministers to come over and lay hands on my uncle Carlos. And I've heard my uncle Carlos. I actually have him on recording. He's, he just passed away about a year ago, eighty at age eighty four. But he himself told me the story of what happened. Well, there was a healing right then and mm -hmm. there. And mm -hmm. my grandfather witnessed it. And it affected him so deeply, as you can imagine, yes. that it would, that he converted on the spot. And he became a minister. And more than that, <laughs> and more than that, he built a church in Azusa. And actually, I was, pre I was preaching at that church, Azusa, California, just last Sunday. Hmm. Um, and it was really moving for me to step into that church knowing that my grandfather, Guadalupe, Lupe, as we used to call him, built it from scratch. And had preached in that pulpit. And had preached in that pulpit. And actually, his mo the memorial service held in his honor when he died and that was presided over by my other grandfather, mm. Guillen, was not that church. So very deep roots, you know so what I'm saying? You, so everybody you, just you, said, you, well, you of course, little Michael, Miguelito, as right? they would say in Spain, little Miguelito is going to become the third generation yes. minister. Mm -hmm. Blessing fourth generation, he's third generation. And, um, well, I fooled them all. Because on, by second grade, by second grade, I knew one thing for certain and that I, I wanted to be a scientist. Mm. I dreamt mm. about it, Charles. Mm. I dreamt myself mm. in a white lab coat. This sounds silly. <laughs> now, but now listen, mind you, East LA, it's not like scientists are roaming the streets of East LA. Right, right, I had never right, had right. an encounter with a scientist. So it, You're not it reading Britannica every night before you go to bed in <laughs> no, East LA. No. Sure. And it wasn't as if I had had an encounter with a scientist who influenced me. No, this just came out of nowhere. Uh, I, I look back now in retrospect and I see that it was, um, it was the Lord uh, who, mm -hmm. who placed that desire in my heart. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know it then. I just thought, this is, hey, this is a kid with a dream. I want to be a scientist. And that dream kept, took me from East L.A. to UCLA, um, then on to Cornell. Because along the way, you realized you were smart. Yeah, And, and, I was you, and well, you wanted to get out. I certainly wasn't athletic. I was the skinniest <laughs> kid around. And I, I was the kid everybody did not want on their team. They would, they, they would actually argue over me. As to not wanting them, uh, wanting me on their team, it's they would say, "No, you take him. No, no, you take him." I'm serious. Character builder for oh, you yeah, as a child yeah. growing up. Oh yes. yeah. So, so it was yes. It so. was by my wits, my mind that got me out of the vadio of East LA, and and I pursued this dream single-mindedly, and I I ended up at Cornell, oh, UCLA, where I got my bachelor's in physics and math, and at Cornell, where I got a triple PhD in physics, math, and astronomy, and then a, a, an instructor at physics in Harvard for eight, nine years. Uh, and then you went into the media. And then, a, yeah, and, and as I say to people, a funny thing happened to me on the way to Cambridge, because I, I went to Cambridge, and I ended up teaching at Harvard, but within days... Of my arrival in Cambridge, I got a phone call out of the blue, Charles. And these moments have happened to me. They mm -hmm. punctuate my my life. And these are moments that I call kind of out of the blue moments because they're not moments that are the result of my 
somehow planning something, right, masterminding right, something, right. right? They just happen. I just happened to get a call from some young woman who said the following to me. She says, I'm from, uh, hello, I'm a producer from WCVB, which is the ABC affiliate in Boston. She says, we want to do a half-hour science special. Uh, and we're looking for a scientist to uh, to host the show. We don't want an actor. We want a real scientist. <laughs> and she says, and, and we want to know, are you interested in auditioning? Can you wear a white coat? Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, am I interested? Yes, I am. And so we talked like this. And, and then at the end of the conversation, I remember asking her, I said, now listen, I said, wait, wait where did you find my name because you have to understand I'm fresh right. out of grad school sure. I'm in Cambridge where there are Nobel Prize winners there are Why me? there are Why men and women family? with credentials far greater than mine at that point mm -hmm. and I'm thinking why is she calling some snot-nosed grad student from Cornell who's just graduated from Cornell literally there less than a month mm. to do this prime you know it was pre-prime time 7 30 in the evening on a mm -hmm. Sunday night they were gonna air this thing which is a very desirable time slot and I'll never forget what she said to me. She says, well, we've been calling around and your name keeps coming up. Hmm. Wow, my name keeps coming up? How? Hmm. And anyway, it came down to me and a guy at MIT, and then they picked me. And I got an Emmy Award for that show. It was called mm -hmm. Time, Tides, and Tuning Forks. I'll never forget it. It was a half hour, very highly rated, got huge ratings. Mm -hmm. and, and that was the beginning of my television career. And then one thing led to another. I ended up at ABC News, where I was the science editor for Good Morning America, 2020, Nightline, World News Tonight, and the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. a crazy life. Mm -hmm. This kid from East L.A. who just wanted to be a scientist in a white lab coat. And you got to do more observing of different kinds of science all oh, over Lord. the world yeah, than oh, you yeah. ever would have oh, just yeah. teaching at Harvard. Oh, my goodness. I, yeah, no, I saw, you know, all over the scientists from all over the world. At the same time, here you had the education, here you had the career, but you gave up your faith that you grew up with. Yeah, that, that, that was... You had what, to leave that behind almost, well, didn't you? Well, you know, it was interesting. I, I mean, I remember very clearly boarding that airplane from Los Angeles bound for New York City, and then I was going to take a bus mm -hmm. from New York City to Ithaca, New York, mm -hmm. which is where Cornell is. And it was at, at once the most exciting day of my life, young life. Here I am, a, a pretty young kid now, and yet also sad and scary for me to say goodbye to my family. I can picture my mom and my dad and my two sisters there at the airport waving goodbye to me as I, as I went down the, uh, into the plane. And it really, there was no looking back. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really was a huge turning point in my life mm -hmm. where I left behind everything that was familiar to me. I, I left behind my family. I had no family in Ithaca, New York. Right. All my family is around here in the LA area. I left behind uh, my friends, all my friends that I'd grown up with in school and in our neighborhood. And I really left behind my faith. I, I had no time for that. I, you have to understand, I was this young man on a mission. You were going to conquer the world. I was single-minded. Sure. No, I wasn't even going to conquer the world. I was going to accomplish my dream of becoming mm -hmm. a scientist. And if you know anything about me, if anybody knows anything about me, is when I glom on to something, <laughs> I don't look to the right and I don't look to the left. I am like a dog. I'm like a bulldog. And so when I landed in Ithaca, New York... Here's, I knew nobody. I mean, have you ever been a place where you arrive and you are like hundreds, if not thousands of miles from everything mm -hmm. and anything you know? And you're all alone. All alone. The only thing that linked me to my home was my dear mom, God bless her, rest her soul, sent me a letter every day 
can you imagine? She made it a point to write me a letter every day. So at the end of my Only day... Only a mother would do yes, that. Yes. yes. I would go to my little box. I would put it in the combination, open it up, and there was always one letter, and it was from my mom. Mm. And it she was, was interesting. probably praying for you, too. She was. But do you, can I just tell you a little aside please, to honor my do. mother? Yes. The day I arrived in Ithaca, New York, the day. So my parents say goodbye to me that morning. I get on an airplane. I get there that night. I was going to stay with uh, uh, an older couple. They had a spare bedroom. I was going to stay upstairs. Mm -hmm. I no sooner had arrived and unpacked my bags. The old, the old gentleman said to me, you have a phone call. Your dad's on the phone. I said, gee, okay. I thought my dad was just calling to see, did you arrive okay, son, and all this? No. He said, son, I've got some bad news for you. Oh, this is my first day in Ithaca. This is the mm. first day I've left East You've LA. never yeah, been away from home in your life. Never and... been away from home. And he says, your mom has been diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. And what I found out later, Charles, is that my mom had known that she had a lump in her breast for months. But she was fearful that if she told me or that she went to a doctor to confirm that there was something wrong, that it would dis have dissuaded me from going to Cornell going away and to interrupted school. my dream. Mm. Mm. And I've lived with that. And I don't necessarily feel guilty, but I feel a burden. Mm. But I also feel so much love for my mom for making that sacrifice for my dream. And, and now I know when I look back on my life that that wasn't a dream placed there randomly. It wasn't just some random seed that fell into my head and grew. It was placed there by the Lord. So my, mom, my mom's sacrifice has enormous significance because she sacrificed something that was divine, mm. something placed in my heart and in my mind by the Lord himself. Mm. And I want your listeners to know that because my mom was a very special woman, never went past high school, but she did that for me. And I'm willing to bet you that your listener, among your listeners, there are people in their lives too, very mm. simple people maybe, uh, people that don't have a string of degrees, that uh, maybe don't have a burning dream of their own, but in their own quiet, self-sacrificial way, uh, help the Lord accomplish his purposes on this great mm. earth. Mm pretty profound. It really is. Michael, uh, on our program yesterday, you shared with us, and I would encourage people to go back and they could do that on our website, and hear your story of how having been a scientist, having been the ABC science editor, the Lord brought you back to him yes. and, and led you to faith in yes. Christ. Yes. I, I want us to take just a, a few minutes here mm -hmm. and talk to some younger people about what's going on in the world today. Uh, we're sitting in your backyard today. We're 15 minutes from Barna and Associates. They're, they're the ones that do all the faith surveys today. Yes. And one of their surveys that they've taken, well, many of the surveys that they've taken over the last few years talk about the great number of younger people leaving the church. They've yes. been raised in the church like you were. Yes. And they're leaving. Yes. A third of them leave because they don't think science is compatible mm. with their faith. Now, you've, the Lord's brought you back from being a scientist. Mm -hmm. how, 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 what words would you speak to these young people that are thinking, I need to get rid of my religion and I need to just believe what's fact, what's truth, what's science? 33% is pretty significant. 
And um, I, I can only speak from my own experience and hope that among your listeners, there are some of these young people who have maybe either made the decision to leave the faith because they feel that uh, it's the only reasonable thing to do, given what we know scientifically, mm -hmm. that no reasonable or intelligent, well-educated person could possibly remain in the faith, in the Christian faith in particular, uh, and be self-respecting. Uh, I'm going to just say this to you. Um, I'm a scientist. I devoted my entire adult life to becoming a scientist. Mm -hmm. I know what it's like to be a scientist. I know what it's like to think like a scientist. I know what science teaches. I know what science is able to understand. But more importantly, what I've discovered is what science is not able to understand. As a scientist, you, um, you kind of get a behind-the-scenes look at science. You, you see how it works, how it doesn't work. Um, let, let me, I can go in so many different directions, but let me, let me, let me take this, uh, let me take this position. I bought a book many, many years ago that is a collection of old, uh, newspapers from New York Times, old New York Times newspapers that go back to the early part of the century. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think maybe even before that into the late 1800s. And uh, this collection is specific to uh, the uh, newspapers that had very significant scientific headlines. So, for mm -hmm. example, there are all the headlines collected there when radium was discovered wow. or when um, the nuclear bomb was being developed and so forth and so on. And what you find, um, uh, for example, let's just take when, when radioactivity was discovered. Uh, the scientists in these articles were all being quoted as saying, well, this, this is the end of uh, coal. We no longer have to burn coal because here we have a source of unlimited energy and it's clean and people won't have to die of black lung diseases and mm. all these just sort of extravagant uh, promises and these, this extravagant vision about what was to be. And, 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 and proclaiming that certain things were obsolete and certain things were no longer going to be necessary. Well, we know now that right. <laughs> radioactivity wasn't exactly what science <laughs> thought it was going to be. It wasn't what it was cracked no. up to and, be. And the, and the truth of it is, we, this, it's, today is not, no different. I mean, there's the stem cell debate and all that. There are a lot of very extravagant promises being made. You can go on and on and on. We could fill hours of the promises that science is making now. Um, some of those promises have come true, but most of them have not. And, and here's the reason why. Science is a very speculative enterprise. That is to say, uh, it uses a, a, a very powerful method called the scientific method to understand how the universe mm -hmm. works. Mm -hmm. But when it attempts to take that knowledge of how the universe works and extrapolate it into the future and say, okay, well, we, we believe the universe works this way and that way, and therefore we can look ahead in the future and predict that this is how it's going to be. That's the rub. Mm -hmm. That's where mm -hmm. science has a real hard time. I there mean, is you, no crystal ball. Well, look at, I mean, just look at your weather forecast. I mean, sure. The, the, uh, you know, meteorological science is one of the most developed sciences there is. I mean, it's one of the oldest sciences, the study of the weather. And yet and, we and, and, and all yet, laugh at the right. weather forecasting. I mean, right. I mean, not it, always coming true. Exactly. And, yeah. and you know, um, most of the time it's not.
you know, I believe I recall a study that's, uh, on average, weather forecasters are wrong 60% of the time. And I've often wondered, because I, I know in television, especially weathercasters are, are, are highly paid. Yes. So I said, there is no other industry where you can be so highly paid to be so wrong, right? right? Yes, yes. <laughs> but the, the, the takeaway from this, and this is what I've learned firsthand being a scientist, is that, yes, science is very powerful, and it does have some real contributions mm. to make. But at the same time, there is this vast area where science just utterly fails. And one of those areas is in human behavior. Hmm. The science is just really, uh, just, it, it, it fails miserably, frankly, when it comes to human behavior. I mean, I could, there, there was a, a famous a scientist, Amos Tversky at Stanford University, who was an expert in decision theory, which is a branch of mathematics. And decision theory is very, um, helpful in trying to understand why people make certain decisions. Well, Amos spent, you know, his entire career trying to understand why people decided certain things. You know, mm -hmm. why did they choose brand X over brand Y? Why did they vote for candidate A versus candidate B? Why, you know, why, why, why? Why do we do what we do every day, day in and day out, right? Just ordinary stuff that we do as people. Sure. He was trying to use science to cast some light on our behavior. Mm -hmm. And at the end of his career, he just figuratively threw his hands up in the air and said, you know, just, we just, just it's not logical. People aren't logical. You can't use logic to explain people's behavior. Mm. Okay? So there's your first clue that if you want to understand the human experience, you don't want to rely entirely on science. If you do, you're going to fail. Right? I mean, you look at mental illness and look at how... Utterly, science fails. My own sister has um, manic depression, mm. and science has just failed her utterly. I mean, yes, mm. they have lithium, they have these drugs and that drugs, but those drugs have side effects. Mm -hmm. they, they just, it goes on and on and on. Mm. So these are all clues, and these should be clues to these young people who are just willy-nilly leaving the faith because they think somehow science is incompatible to faith. They're wrong. <laughs> and they'll have to discover it in their own way, in their own time. Look, one of the things I've learned, and maybe this just comes with age, is not just to get too exercised about things like this. One thing I've learned is that when you walk with the Lord, He does things His way and in His time. Because you see, He exists outside of time. We, we live this anxious life down here where we're caught up in the stream of time. God doesn't. He's not caught up in that stream of time. So for us, something may take a long time. For God, it's a wink of an eye. Maybe it's no time at all. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the kids in the back seat of the car. Daddy, are we there yet? <laughs> no, you asked me that two minutes ago. We just no, left home. <laughs> we just left home. But to the kid in the back seat, it's been an eternity. Right. And that's how we are. Mm -hmm. So these young people, I would say a couple of things to these young people who are leaving the faith because they think science is incompatible with it. Number one, I would question how strong their faith was in the first place. Mm. Because I, I'm going to just say something um, outright, and it's something I've discovered in my life. If your faith is truly strong, the Lord will give you eyes to see the truth. And when you see the truth, you see one thing, and that is there is no incompatibility between science and faith. Mm. Both speak about truth. And truth does not contradict truth. There can be misunderstandings, yes. And maybe some of these young people are, are 
tripped up by these misunderstandings. Maybe they've read something, or maybe somebody has told them something, and that's been enough for them to spin off mm -hmm. in space and leave the faith. But I would say to these young people, how strong was your faith in the first place? Was it really strong, or was it just something you inherited from was your parents? Was it the faith of your fathers yeah. and mothers, yeah. or was it and a I, faith of your own? own. And, and I would Lord. say to young, young people, because I, I went through that same thing. I left behind the faith of my father and mother, and I had to discover it on my own later in life. And when you discover it on your own, it's powerful. Hmm. So I would say to these young people, okay, if you're going to leave the faith, leave the door open for returning to the faith, because I'm willing to bet you that mm. you're going to get to a point in your life when you're going to look back and reinvestigate faith and discover it anew, this time, mm. with the eyes of a grown-up. Mm. Dr. Michael Gillen, do you mind praying no, for some younger people oh. listening to us even today? Oh, precious Father, we, uh, we just bow our heads and close our eyes to tune out the world so that we can concentrate on you right now. Lord, I have in mind all these young people who are just making these careless decisions about leaving the faith because they think, and thinking correctly, that somehow science makes it impossible to have faith in you. <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus, you are the one who created the universe that science attempts to understand. How could science, the study of your creation, be incompatible with the Creator. <laughs> hmm. Sweet Jesus, I just pray that you keep these young people safe as they get lost in their own interests. Oh, sweet Jesus, I pray that uh, you keep an eye on them and bring them back to the fold at the earliest possible time. And I pray for these young people who are leaving the faith because they think science makes it impossible to have faith in you, Lord. I pray for their safety because in place of faith in you, sweet Jesus, what are they going to have faith in? Are they going to have faith in the world? Good luck. Look around you. The world's a mess. Are they going to have faith in themselves? Good luck. Sooner or later, you're going to end the, reach the end of your rope. And then who do you turn to? What do you turn to? Sweet Jesus, keep an eye on them. Young people, keep an eye on God. Don't let them completely out of your sight, even as you go your own way. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me on Great Stories with Charles Morris. I hope this conversation with the former ABC science correspondent was an encouragement to you and your faith. If you enjoyed today's episode, can I ask that you leave us a review? You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, but you can also go to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly email and discover our other episodes posted on the blog. Thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris.